Welcome to In My Own Words, where we stand behind our opinions like Bernie Stan stand behind those middens. What was up with those middens? Welcome to episode 61 of In My Own Words, everybody. I'm your host, Tony R. Sanders, here to have a good time yet again with another episode. Um, I love doing the show. I miss you guys. And I'm here to I'm here to gloat a little bit. <laughs> I'm here to gloat a little bit because I gotta be honest. I came in last week, I felt a little defeated on the last episode. If you listened to it, if you watched it, I felt a little defeated because my NFL picks didn't pan out the way that I wanted them to. I was looking bad. I had a, I had a bad first week. I had already had an emotional pick with the Colts, uh, and they failed me. And then, you know, obviously the Bills are better than I thought they were, even even this week. Uh, and then some other things fell apart. You know, Russell Wilson and the Seahawks fell apart. It's just a lot of things fell apart. But this week, I did good. Out of the four games, I had three of them correct. I was three for four. So, I still somehow underestimated the Bills, Bills Mafia. I apologize. That was uh, not something that I saw coming. Um, to be honest, I haven't paid a lot of attention to the Bills ever, so <laughs> I did not see that coming. So I got to give them props. But I was I was correct on every other game. I, I correctly picked uh, the Buccaneers to win. I correctly picked the Chiefs to win. Although I will say about the Chiefs game, once Mahomes went out. And I was watching the game, and I saw how everything was was unwinding. I kind of wanted the Chiefs to lose. I kind of wanted to be wrong about them. And I've never rooted for the Browns before. I'm not really a Baker Mayfield fan, but I, I don't hate him. You know what I mean? I, I feel like Baker is one of those polarizing players. At least he was the first coming into the league with his commercials and his swag and all these things in his mouth, his trash talk, you know, his, his uh, slight disdain for the media. Uh, and the media picks on him, too, to be fair. Uh, Colin Cowherd, one of my favorite media personalities in the sports world, does a good job of picking on Baker Mayfield. I think it's hilarious, him and his backward cap theory. But I kind of wanted them to win. I just thought that it would be a better story. And here's my problem with sports betting. that thats I don't have a problem with sports betting if you do it. But the reason I don't do it is because I am such a sucker for a story. And sometimes my emotional attachment to a great story, what would be the best story, sometimes that takes over my my mental uh, ability to pursue and utilize logic, <laughs> right? And so I'm looking at this knowing that Kansas City is the better team, knowing that they're better equipped top to bottom to compete, knowing that I picked them to win this game and also make it to the Super Bowl. So I expect them to win against the Bills even though this is going to be my third week in a row underestimating the bill. So we'll see how that shakes out. And who knows what's going on with Patrick Mahomes. They say he he uh, had a light practice and he wasn't in concussion protocol. I've had a concussion before. I've seen, I've seen a few concussions before. My man was concussed, okay? <laughs> my homeboy was concussed. There's no way he should not be in concussion protocol. But when you're a face of the league, you are reigning Super Bowl champion, if I were him and in his shoes, like most football players, I don't want to be in concussion protocol. I want to be out there on the field playing with my team, no matter what it costs me long term. I'm looking at the the now. And so 
prayers up for Patrick Mahomes. Hopefully he's okay. Hopefully this is not one of the classic NFL football situations where we see someone's health and safety being forsaken for the sake of competition or the sake of monetary value. I don't think Mahomes is doing it for the money. Money wise, he's good. He's got his big contract, you know, half a billy. I think he's good money wise, but I know he's a competitor and I understand that, um, you know, the competitors make weird decisions around their health when it comes to competition, um, which leads me to another topic. But let me think, of, let me stick on the betting things for a second. I would love to do sports betting. I have friends and family members who do sports betting. But when I don't know enough about a team, I make the dumbest calls. When I don't know enough about uh, the Browns, you know, just as an example, I know a little bit, but not enough. Um, I'd, I'd vote on them just because of the media stories that I know it's going to bring. And, man, what a story would it be for the Browns to go from not making the playoffs in so many years and being horrible and being trash and the laughing stock of the league to take out the Chiefs and wind up in the AFC Championship. What a story that would be. Now, that wasn't going to happen, and I predicted that it wasn't going to happen. I knew, you know, I think some of them, they kind of knew as well, but what what a story that would be, right? So I would fall in love with the story and make poor betting decisions. I think that's why I picked the Seahawks to win because I, I love the story of Russell Wilson and everything he does is for God, and I love following him on Twitter. I love seeing the things that uh, he does with his family, him and Sierra, and so the story of them winning and uh, succeeding just aligns with some of my values and the way that I see the world, right? And so my biases will kick in, and it's not just a pure data or logic-driven decision. And so that's why I don't do sports betting. I think sports betting is great. I think that um, a couple of more states just legalized it. I think Michigan just legalized it. I found that out through um twitter the other day and so i think sports betting is a great thing i just don't think it's the thing for me right self-awareness is key and i don't think it's the thing for me um going back to Mahomes being injured i think it's interesting that we allow um athletes to make decisions when it comes to their health right so when there is a situation where an athlete is under concussion protocol or should be under concussion protocol or dealing with any type of significant injury and they are well informed to uh, make the proper decision but not in a position to make a proper decision there are countless stories of athletes who were presented with information that says hey if you continue on this path you won't be able to walk or if you continue on this path you know you're you're Mental space may not be good a decade from now, but they make the decision to compete because they don't want to let their team down. Some of it could be because of financial reasons. I don't think that's the case with Patrick Mahomes. Some of it could be just pure competitive nature, just people who love to compete. And we talked a a podcast or two ago about my competitive nature. I just love to compete. I would love to compete on any level. In fact, it's not even that I would love to compete. I need to compete. Competition is like my love language, so I need to I need to be able to do that. That's the fuel that gets me through most days is that competitive nature, my competitive edge. I am a competition looking for a place to happen. So I get the need to compete, but I also get that a lot of these guys aren't fully thinking about what it's going to be like in 20 to 30 years. 
I think a lot of that has to do with age as well. Um, I was having a conversation with my sister, and she was upset with one of my youngest brothers because he went somewhere without a mask, right? And she's trying to express to him the serious nature of coronavirus and him being in the prime of his life in his eyes and being super young, he just doesn't get it, right? There are several situations that we were in uh, when we were together in which there was a lot of danger going on <laughs> and he just didn't see or recognize the danger, right? He's just, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, uh, still a kid and just, you know, doing what kids do. But she said to me out of frustration, this dude thinks he's invincible. And I said, yeah, at that age, I did too. And he is approaching the age range of a lot of these athletes, especially in basketball. He's the same age as LaMelo Ball, I believe. They're around the same age. Yeah, so uh, in football, you have to be a little older, but he's in that same age range. And when you're that range, you you do think that nothing's going to hurt you because so far, nothing has, <laughs> right? But I don't think that because you are the person who will be impacted most by the decision of whether you should play or not through an injury. Um, I don't think that that person should be the person making that decision. And that's tough for me to say, because almost in every situation, I always think you should consult the people who are going to be most impacted by the decision, right? If there is a, uh, a business decision being made or a family decision, let's at least consult the person who is going to be impacted most by the decision. That is when that person is in a good enough mental space to handle the processing of a decision. Because there are times, too, when normally happens with the older, uh, as we get older, you know, someone may have power of attorney over their dad because he's no longer in a mental space to make the best decisions for his own life. And I think that there should be something like that when it comes to um, these athletes, specifically NFL players, who are under serious duress for whatever reason to to play and are in serious risk of ruining their physical lives for years and years to come. It reminds me of the movie uh, The Temptations. You guys seen this movie? The Temptations with uh, uh, Leon playing David Ruffin. Incredible movie. If you haven't seen it, you should see it. But the one of the singers, uh, Melvin Blue, he's the bass singer, at one point, you know, he got shot in the leg and, you know, was paralyzed for a second. And he was working on getting back together. And he was at his doctor and his doctor told him that he couldn't dance anymore. Now, what was funny about this scene, even though it was a very serious and sad scene, what was funny about this scene is it's not like the Temptations were doing the craziest dance moves. It wasn't like he was a part of the Jackson 5 and he said, you can't dance anymore. It wasn't like Melvin was dancing like Chris Brown or, or young Michael Jackson. It wasn't that at all, right? He was, they were doing steps. I wouldn't even call them dance moves. They were doing steps. Temptations were doing steps. It was, they weren't a new addition. Okay, they weren't they weren't doing crazy choreography. They were doing steps, nice steps, but nice for like the fifties and sixties. Uh, but he told him he couldn't dance anymore, and dancing was what you know he did, and dancing was how he made his money. And you can't be a part of the Temptations and stand there and sing. You have to be able to dance and move. And so he looks at his doctor and he says, "Give me the shot." And the doctor says, "I don't think you understand. Like you, you could end up in a wheelchair." 
if you don't stop this and work on getting back to a healthy place. And he grabbed him and says, Doc, give me the shot. And he gives him the shot, and eventually the guy ends up in a wheelchair, and he, and he dies in that wheelchair, which is a very, very sad story. But he was going to be the person most impacted by that decision, yes, but he had other extenuating circumstances that motivated him to make a great short-term decision for him, right, as in terms of finances and being able to do what he loves. But a long-term, it did not work out for him because it ended up him being in a wheelchair and then uh, – unfortunately passing away so that's my take on NFL I need to give you my picks for this week Uh, I'm still sticking with my Super Bowl prediction of the Packers winning over the Chiefs that means that this weekend the Chiefs would have to go in and take care of business against the Bills okay so I'm predicting that they will win that game I predict that um, Patrick Mahomes will be in good shape and then we got Chad Haney coming off the bench as he did uh, in the last game so That was exciting to see. And then that means that Aaron Rodgers, who has been on a complete tear, playing amazing. uh, He he still scares me the way he flings the ball around sometimes. It's like, whoa. Uh, But he thinks he can make every throw, just much like Patrick Mahomes thinks he can make every throw. So I do see that they they will beat the Buccaneers, which I think will be a tough out. It'll be a great game. Another game of two classic, iconic quarterbacks going head-to-head. Of course, this past week we had Tom Brady and Drew Brees, and now we're going to have Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. Now, I will say this. If Tom Brady goes through Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, and Patrick Mahomes to win another Super Bowl, (laughs) there's no real debate about anything football-related. Tom Brady has won every single debate because – You know, I think the large majority of the population, the football-loving population, can acknowledge uh, at least that Tom Brady is one of the top five football players that ever play, if not the greatest of all time. But I think the percentage of people who are left who are saying, well, you know, he he only did it with Belichick, or he's a system quarterback, and he couldn't do it outside of the New England system. Well, here he is in a new team, in a fairly new system, with a new coach, with new pieces around him, one old piece, but new pieces around him, and they're still getting it done. They found themselves in a new conference and in the NFC Championship. And so, shout out to Brady, man. Round of applause. I got it. You got to love it. You know, I grew up a Colts fan, still a Colts fan. I never had a lot of praise or great things to say about Tom Brady. Uh, I realized more and more that since he's since he's gotten out of New England and away from Belichick, I can appreciate his greatness a little bit more. Never denied his greatness, but can appreciate it a little bit more. And uh, I'm also learning that I just hate New England uh, in the Boston area much more than I just hate Tom Brady. So shout out to Tom Brady. Those are my picks. Okay. Something very important happened this week. Do you know what it is? I'll give you three guesses. Go ahead. Nope. Nope. Guess again. <laughs> No, 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 no. Guess again. Mm. That's right. The inauguration. We saw Joe Biden get sworn in as the president. And we saw Donald J. Trump leave the White House. Something that a lot of us thought we'd never see. Like, seriously, there were a lot of people who thought that Trump was going to stay in office uh, in perpetuity until his death date, including, I think, Trump. 
I think that, you know, he he still thought in a way that he was going to maintain the White House seat even after the election results are in, right? And so we saw the inauguration. We saw a very historic inauguration. We saw the first, and I want to make sure I get all the identifiers right, uh, African-American and Asian-American and female woman vice president elected into office in Kamala Harris. Man, you know what was really cool about that? First of all, shout out to Kamala Harris. Round of applause for her. If you're listening to this, you know, go ahead and put your hands together. What was cool about this, and I think that this is politics aside, I love to see the power of representation, right? And I want to get a little bit deeper into this, but an example of representation was when I went on my Zoom and Google Meets uh, all day on Inauguration Day, or when I went out to take, excuse me, take my daughter to basketball practice, um, I love seeing the women wearing their Chuck Taylors and their pearls. I like to see the women connecting with this moment of history and showing what it means to them and showing how proud they were to be an American on that day. That was just a beautiful, beautiful feeling. We've talked about American Pride on this podcast before. It's something that I definitely struggle with um, because it's hard to overlook some of the rough rough parts and spots. But it's amazing when you get moments like this where we show true, undeniable signs of progress. It's tough to not be excited about that and not have pride and be proud in that moment. And so regardless of what you think Kamala's going to do in the White House, regardless of what you think Joe Biden's going to do in the White House, there's no denying the uh, magnitude of this moment, right, of having someone who is, some would say a triple minority, (laughs) make it to uh, the vice president seat in the White House is just an incredible thing. So it was really, really cool to see all the representation at the um, at the different places and, and that I went, even if it was virtual. It was really cool to see everybody uh, representing for Kamala and being excited about Joe. So uh, I love that. I love to see all the outfits that people were wearing. Like, I love to see Lady Gaga with the big bird on her out. What was that? <laughs> Lady Gaga is interesting. And I was I was surprised that after her performance, uh, the NBA All-Star game a few years ago, singing the national anthem. I don't know if you guys remember this or not. I need to find the clip and see if I can put it in. But I don't know if you guys remember this or not. But she had one of the worst, like, top three worst national anthem performances of all time. So the fact that she was invited to the inauguration to sing was... A shock to me. Uh, I sang along with Garth Brooks when he did his little acapella version. Uh, I, I sang along with him. I still think Obama's version of Amazing Grace was better. Uh, <laughs> but that was fun. And uh, I love the, the the girl. I can't think of her name. Uh, her name escapes me right now. A 20-year-old girl from California. She read the poem. Uh, I'm going to feel bad if I don't find her name. So let me find her name. Because um, I watched the video a couple of different times. I don't know a few friends of mine posted uh, a picture of her, her name, Amanda Gorman. Amanda Gorman is her name. Uh, one of the quotes that I saw that I liked was, there's always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if we're only brave enough to be it. Uh, 
I like that quote a lot. And so it was really cool to see that. And I wanted to talk about representation a little bit. One of the realizations that I've had in the last couple of months, right? Thinking about the things that happened at the Capitol building, thinking about some of the things that have transpired in our country. Um, I think people are starting to really open up to the idea and the value of representation. And what I mean by that is seeing someone who uh, you can identify with in a position of power is powerful. And I think that a lot of people don't understand the power or the value of representation because they've never not had it. There are a lot of people throughout their entire lives can look around this entire country, whatever business, they could blindly throw a dart at the United States of America and hit a spot where they can find someone that can represent them. And I, I want to be clear on this, too. When I say representation, I'm just not I'm not just talking about skin color, even though that's very important as well. Um there's a saying that I love that, that says uh, everybody that's your skin folk ain't your kin folk. That means that just because someone looks like you doesn't mean that they agree with you. doesn't mean that they're for you. doesn't mean that you are on the same page as them. But having that skin connection is important. Having that gender connection is important. Having the um, I, similar ideas and being someone that represents your ideas and your thinking, your philosophy, your way of life, your religion, all those things are important. And there's a big group of people for the longest time that could throw a dart at the United States and hit a spot where they had great representation. And then something interesting happened. And this is something I think we should all pay attention to because don't think for a second that's, that just because Trump left the White House that the Trumpers have disappeared. Mm -mm. <laughs> Those people are there. And it's cool. It's cool to see the world go back to a political normal. Right. I love that the hottest topic is what Bernie Sanders wore to the inauguration. I love the Bernie memes floating around everywhere. Right. I love that the, the hottest topic is Bernie and what he wore to the inauguration. I love to see Dr. Fauci and Kamala and uh, President Biden, Vice President Kamala and, and President Biden. I love to see them all on stage like laughing and Fauci looks happy for the first time in a long time. And he looks he, he said he was liberated. He was free to, to tell the truth. Think about that for a second. Free to tell the truth without any fear of backlash. I love all of that. I love that we're talking about policy. You know, one of Biden's executive orders was trending on Twitter today. I'm like, oh, we're having a policy conversation again. This is great. Like, I love that there are people that are for it and the people that are against it. And I love that we're having a debate about that and not some clownery that's surrounding it. But with that being said, Trump and the Trumpers have not gone anywhere. Yeah, he's not on Twitter, but he is still out there. And, and the reason why I say that is this. When President Obama was elected into office, and he was the most powerful person in the country, right? Depending on how you look at it. A lot of people felt underrepresented for the first time in their lives and for the first time in generations because up until that point you could always look at that office and say there are only people in there that look like me and that share a similar idea of life to me and a similar philosophy 
even if we disagree on politics, I know that there's some common ground and some connection, right? But with someone who you don't think you can identify with holds that position of power, now all of a sudden you feel disenfranchised. Now all of a sudden you don't feel represented and that angers you. And this anger just boils up. And eventually someone comes along and says, hey, I know what to do with your anger. Follow me. And you do that, right? You do that for over four years. And that person is, you know, kicked out. And you don't, you know, the, a lot of people's connection to Trump is in representation. So when Trump was impeached, they felt like you were impeaching them and their ideas and their ideology and their philosophy. It wasn't just about Trump as an individual. And I had a conversation with some friends and they were frustrated about some of their family members who uh, have supported Trump and some of their family members who had friends and friends of friends who uh, were at the Capitol building the day of the insurrection and all these things. And they were just so frustrated and they couldn't understand why um, anyone would agree with his rhetoric or even some of the policies that he talked about but never actually did. And the reason why is because he represented a certain idea of life that they identify with that they've been missing. They didn't see that in Obama. Maybe they saw it in George W. Bush a little bit. Maybe they even saw it in Clinton a little bit. Maybe they saw it in H.W., right? But they hadn't seen that in so long. And so they finally get it, and they finally feel like they're, they're pulling their power together, right? This power of representation, and then you strip it away from them again. So those people are frustrated. And those people aren't quiet and those people aren't going to just sit by as we laugh at Fauci, as we laugh at Biden making his gaffes, as we laugh at Kamala and as we debate policy and go back to, quote unquote, life is normal. Those people aren't just going to be sitting there for that. They're going to be looking for a way to empower someone who has the same idea and philosophy as them. And so representation is a really, really big, big deal. And I hope that we start to acknowledge that and understand that a lot of those people that were supporting Trump were supporting some of the ideas that they have about America. Whether you agree with those ideas or not. I think we all know I don't. <laughs> but that's that's what some people want to see out of America because it's the America that they always known. It's the America that they love. And quite frankly, it's the America that works for them. So with that being said, on to more fun things. Over the next couple of weeks on this podcast, I'm getting excited because one of my favorite things are back. Now, I have a couple of favorite things that I don't normally talk about on the podcast. I was thinking about this today, right? I was running through my show notes and thinking about what I want to talk about. I was thinking about, man, there are some things that I'm really interested in, but I don't talk about. One of the things that I'm interested in that I don't talk about is gaming. I love gaming, especially over the pandemic. I have completely fallen in love with gaming. I've already been in love with live streaming. And one night I was uh, clicked into Twitch and I was looking at different categories and I fell into the gaming category and I saw a guy who was streaming a video game from his basement and 60,000 people were watching him. And I was amazed. And then I tuned in the next night and over 80,000 people watching him. And he was playing in a tournament. And the energy was real. And I was, I was feeling the energy. And I remember texting my friends about this guy with 80,000 people watching him play a video game. 
I remember looking up different stadiums, basketball arenas around the world and around the country saying, hey, he has enough people to sell out Madison Square Garden. Or, hey, he has enough people to fill up half a Lucas Oil Stadium. Or, hey, you know, based on what the numbers were, I was looking, I was trying to get people to understand the, the magnitude of someone playing a video game and having this many concurrent viewers. You know, anything about live streaming, people pop in, they pop out, they scroll, 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 stop scrolling for a minute, get counted as a viewer, and they scroll again. But to have 60, 80, I even saw it as high as 100,000 concurrent viewers to watch you play a video game was mind-boggling. But I'm in love with it. It's something that I do every single day. I just had this conversation with my wife. She said, um, you, you really watch this gaming stuff every day. You watch another person play a game. Yes. And I tried to explain to her that the the distance in skill between me and uh, Nick Merckx is about the same distance in skill between me and LeBron James. Like, you see how LeBron James just grabbed the ball, ran by the guy, and dunked so effortlessly and didn't even change the expression on his face. It was just easy, like a walk in the park for him. I can't do that. You and I both know that I can't do that. Hey, I don't have the body, I don't have the height, I don't have the athleticism, I don't have the skill, I don't have the awareness. I can't do that. Well, you see this guy who is playing this video game with his thumbs, and he just shot that guy 300 meters away out of the air and had him down before he hit the ground. I can't do that either. <laughs> that, that is just as di difficult as me hitting a three-pointer in an NBA game. It's all the same to me, and so... Uh, a couple of my favorite streamers that I love to watch every day, uh, Nick Merckx, if you haven't heard of this guy, I would definitely recommend you checking him out. I wouldn't recommend you letting your kid watch him. I know some of you listening and watching this show have a kid. Nick Merckx is not the streamer for your kid. Go go have him watch Ninja or somebody. I don't even know. I don't watch Ninja. But Nick Merckx is not a streamer for your kid. He goes in. He is the adult streamer. This is the guy you listen to for entertainment Um it, you know, uh, with your headphones on. You don't want your kid listening to this guy. Another guy I like to watch, Tim the Tatman. He is, uh, I, I identify with him a lot. We're both 30-year-old bald dads who are not very good at video games. Uh, <laughs> but he's a lot better than me. You know, we. it's always funny. One of the running jokes is this Tim is just not good at the game. And he's a lot better than I am. And he's really, really good at the game, but he's just not as good as some of the people he, play, he plays with. Kudos to Tim for always... Uh, leveling up and playing with people that are better than him to make his game better. He's gotten tremendously better over the past year of me watching him. Uh, another person I like to watch, his name is Swag. He lives in Arizona, former college basketball player. He plays with a lot of, um, he plays with his, his friends a lot, which I love, but he also plays with uh, some NFL stars you may recognize. Last night I watched him play with Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, Kyler Murray. So he's always fun to watch as well. So if you're into gaming and you want to hear more about that on a podcast, shoot me a tweet or drop a comment under the video and let me know. I would love to bring more of that content because something new and fresh happens in the gaming industry every day. I see uh, Barstools has partnered up with Nick Merckx and the MFAM to bring sports betting officially to the MFAM brand, which Nick Merckx does a lot of sports betting every week. I won't be part participating, I don't think, in that in that arena, but I love to to watch it and see it take place. And so uh, I would love to talk about more about that type of content on the podcast as well. So we got that. Another thing that I have talked about before is I really enjoy watching reality TV. Like the more I watch, the more I enjoy. Now, I don't watch everything, um, but when I do watch something, I can understand why someone's, you know, watch. I've seen maybe two episodes 
an episode and a half of Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Kanye was on both of them. Uh, n- not a coincidence that he was on both of them. And normally people send it to me like, you got to watch your boy Kanye Wilder on this episode. So uh, I've seen that. And I get why people like it. It's just not a show for me. But there are two shows that are back in action that are for me. And one of them is Married at First Sight. And the other one is Jersey Shore. Now, if you don't know what Jersey Shore is, uh, I'm not even going to explain it to you. You got to go look it up, figure it out for yourself. Married at First Sight is relatively new, right? In context of Jersey Shore, it's new. So I'll explain that one to you. It's an amazing show. I am a sucker for stories. I'm a sucker for relationships. This is perfect for me. I, I love the psychology of a relationship. I love to get into the mind of people who are in love. Uh, and juxtapose that with the people who want to be in love. I always think that is interesting. And I'll give you next week, uh, I promise to come back with my predictions on who's going to make it and who's not. But the show is set up like this. There are normally six people, three couples, uh, or eight people, four couples, I believe. I think they're doing five couples this time. But it'll be you know, somewhere between four and six couples. Um, and these couples have never met each other meaning that the potential bride and the potential groom have no idea who the other person is. They go through this vetting process where they talk to experts and psychologists and spiritual advisors, and they answer a bunch of questions to get them to nail down what type of person they like, what type of person they think would be a good match for them, right? So they get all the things that are important to you, all of your deal breakers, and they try to turn matchmaking and marriage into a scientific process. Now, I don't know if that works. <laughs> I've watched a couple episodes, a couple seasons of, of this show, and um, I've seen it work so far, but I don't know that it's because of the science of it all or if it's because someone's belief right here's some marriage advice my my grandfather told me he told me you go pick a girl if you think that's the one that you want to spend the rest of your life with it you go pick her and you stay committed to your decision that was it it wasn't a lot of science chemistry love type of thing and when you think about love love is a commitment And every day you have to be ready to make that commitment to express that love, to work on that love, to nurture that love. And over time, it grows and it blossoms into something very, very beautiful. But in the beginning, love is just an idea. It's not a concrete thing in a relationship. It's just an idea. Even in a marriage, love is just an idea. It's not a concrete thing. So when you take all of these factors and you try to put these people together, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I wish I had the statistics on their success rate. Um, I would say it's normally about 50-50, which I think I could do that. But I love this show because it takes people who are normally in desperate situations. These aren't normal people. I just got to throw that out there. Some of them are cool people, but these aren't normal people. They've been through some things And there is a certain sequence of events or a pattern of events that caused them to land in a position where they are so desperate to become married that they're willing to marry a stranger. Yeah, they have experts and they have, you know, doctors and all that stuff trying to put together their perfect match. But think about the level of desperation you'd have to be at to marry a stranger. And I get it. People get desperate. They want to be in love. They feel like they're 
the, the clock is ticking. Some of them have been married before and it didn't work out. And so they say, hey, I clearly can't pick a mate. How about I lean on the experts to pick a mate? But the first time these two people meet is at the altar. And they literally get married, like sign paperwork, legal documents, go on a honeymoon, and then move in together. And that's where it always gets interesting. And so, so far, I've watched the first episode of this season. Um, like I said, I think there are four or five couples this season. I'll, I'll get the details when I come back. Uh, and I got to the point where they have know that they have a match. They've tried on the wedding dresses and been fitted for their gowns and fitted for their tuxes and whatever they're going to wear. And they're right up to the wedding day. So they haven't met yet. So once I get the first episode to see when they meet, I, I kind of have an idea. I think that there are five couples and I, I think that two of them are definitely not going to make it. <laughs> I don't have their names or information, but there's one couple that's very, very, uh, they, they're both just very immature and maybe that'll work together. Uh, but the things that they're looking for out of a relationship, I think, are even not the things that you should look for. If your top five list ends in she's got to be a freak in the sheets, you probably you're probably not ready. <laughs> not to say that the sexual elements of a relationship are not important. They are, of course, but that shouldn't be top five. Top five? You think it should be top five? I don't know. That has nothing to do with the longevity of a marriage, in my opinion. So. Uh, I can't wait to bring those things to the podcast as well. I want to update you guys on not only my my predictions, but it's reality TV. It's going to get crazy on there. So we got to stay up to date. So if you want to follow along, me and my wife love to watch Married at First Sight. Love, love, love to watch Jersey Shore. So if you want to follow along with us on the podcast, you could do that by watching those show. This is unfortunately not an ad. <laughs> unfortunately, they are not paying me to do this. They're not paying me to say this. They're not paying me to talk about their show on my show. I just do it because I actually love it. And I love you guys, too. I'm going to get out of here. I appreciate it. Uh, I wanted to go back again and talk about Kyrie since he's back with the Nets and they lost to the Cavs last night. But we'll let that rest. I think they'll figure something out in Brooklyn. I think they'll be a decent team. But I still got Lakers in six. So with that being said, I'll see you guys next week. Take care of yourself.